Well, I have to tell you, it's awfully good to see you. We had a, we had a wonderful time on the mainland for, for three weeks, a combination of business and, and pleasure, mostly pleasure, but it was a real pleasure to come back and to, to meet with you again. Now, I, I have to tell you, I was a little disillusioned this morning. You know how you, you place your confidence in somebody and then they just absolutely shatter it. Well, when I first started here, Pastor Jerry showed me what my parking place would be and showed me the little sign that said, do not back into your parking place because that puts fumes into the area below the lanai and we have people there, we don't want to asphyxiate them. It was a nice speech that he made. Well, this morning, I came to church about 7.30 and I saw a guy back into the parking place, fumes spewing out, and I was repairing my speech. Pastor Jerry said, Pastor Jerry said, guess who was backing into the parking lot? <laughs> 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 well, the next, the next time he scolds me for anything, he's going to get a speech for me. <laughs> Now, I have something else to say to you people in the back. I want to apologize. I was told just before this service that I've been showing preferential treatment to the people on this side of the auditorium and not this side of the auditorium. <laughs> All right, I want to explain to you that it was totally unconscious on my part. It isn't that I like these AFs. I'm not sure I like these people as well as I like you. <laughs> Anyway, I will try to do better, and if I don't do better, you raise your hand or something. Now, seriously, I want you, don't raise your hand yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very conscious of this because most of you know I'm hard of hearing, and if I can't see your face, I can't hear you. It just kind of, that's how it works. Three different times, you can't picture this, but three different times in my ministry, I grew a beard, and Three different times I had to shave it off, and I shaved it off because the hard of hearing people told me they couldn't hear me with my beard on. I totally understand that. So, to all of you hard of hearing people, you have my sympathy, you have my identification, I'm one of you, and if, there again, sorry folks, and if, <laughs> if I seem to be showing preferential treatment, I, I really don't mean to be, but when I get caught up in a sermon, I... I really forget about me, and, and I, I forget about you. It's all about this. So I, I'm not uh, as conscientious as I ought to be for that. I apologize. And now I think that's uh, that. Oh, and one other apology. You probably noticed, or you, if you didn't, you will notice that the scripture that's listed um, for today's sermon is, is just totally wrong. Um, <laughs> Here's the problem with computers. They store things, and then those things that are stored inadvertently reappear from time to time. That happened. I'm not preaching from Colossians. I'm preaching from Matthew, chapter 19, verses 13 through 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and today, goodness. I'd like to introduce you to a man who's as much interested in the subject of goodness as, as we are. He, he too wanted to make certain that he was pleasing to God. 
Now, before I introduce you, I, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the passage that comes just ahead of this passage. In this instance, Jesus is teaching, and, and he's interrupted, and he's interrupted by parents bringing their children to be blessed by the great man, to place his hands on them and pray for them, the scripture says. But then, then his handlers step in. They are there to protect him from the crowd. Uh, while we were away, I was talking with a, a good friend of mine. We used to work together. And he attends a church in which he's in charge of security. That rang a bell with me because I've, I've spoken now for a number of times in, in large churches, mega churches, we call them, thousands of people there. And every time I've spoken for them, uh, somebody has been assigned to protect me. I can't make a move without this person right here. It's very uh, unnerving for me. Uh, but he's handling me. He's wanting to keep the crowd, the riffraff, if you please, away from me. And I, I understand that because as, as the crowds get larger, there are some crazies out there. And some of my preacher friends have been threatened. So I, I totally get that. Well, here in this passage, the disciples are, are functioning as Jesus Handlers, protectors, guards, they're keeping at a distance the curious, the pushy, the antagonistic. Today, the problems would be autograph seekers, reporters, paparazzi, hecklers. But in this passage, there's none of these. It's just loving parents who want their children to be blessed by Jesus. I have a fond memory. Some of you here are old enough to remember this, too. Back when John F. Kennedy was our president, a, a picture appeared in the newspapers. The president was in his office. He had his chief assistants nearby, the secretary of state, etc. And little John John came in, the president's young son. And the photographers caught him climbing up on his father's knee, his father talking with him, the affairs of state halted for the moment because the father in Kennedy trumped the president in Kennedy. It was a tender moment, and we liked it. Well, this is a tender moment, and Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Then, after he paid attention to the children... And was ready to move on. He's interrupted again. And this time, his handlers were not keeping the interrupter away from him. Uh, loose gospel says he was a ruler, this young man. A prominent, important somebody. And you can bet your life they made room for him. Let me read, beginning with verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. I wish I could say that. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? 
And I suspect that maybe he was thinking that Jesus would say, oh, nothing. You've done it all. You're a good person. But instead, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come. Then come. Follow me. Well, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I can never read that sentence without wanting to be a little more accurate. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because his great wealth had him. Now, before we talk about this man, I I, I want to introduce you to another man. His name is Richard Corey. Edwin Arlington Robinson wrote a a poem about him years ago, and when I was teaching high school... We used to study this poem. I wonder whether they still do. Here's how it goes. Whenever Richard Corey went downtown, we people on the pavement looked at him. He was a gentleman from soul to crown, clean-favored and imperially slim. And he was always quietly arrayed. And he was always human when he talked. But... But still he fluttered pulses when he said good morning. And he glittered when he walked. And he was rich, yes, richer than a king, and admirably schooled in every grace. In fine, he thought that he was, we thought that he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. The poem could have been written about the rich young man who stopped Jesus here. The man had everything. He was the the envy of every aspiring young person who knew him. You can hear the tone of voice when he asked the question, "Uh, uh, my good man, my good man, what must I do to have eternal life? Hmm. He sounds religious, a moral person undoubtedly. It's the question of a doer, the take charge type. He, He was admirable. Back to the poem. In fine, we thought he was everything to make us wish that we were in his place. And yet, and yet, he wasn't entirely satisfied. This man who has everything. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I I want to emphasize it. Here's really what he's asking. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? For me, Jesus demurs, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus sees through him. Why are you asking this question? And why are you asking this question of me? Since no one is good except God alone. Jesus is always pointing to God and pointing away from the comparison games. We, we do the comparison game all the time. I may not be the best, but I'm better than you are, or than he is, or than they are. No. It's not what they think, you think, I think. It's about what God thinks. And then, if you really want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now, the implication here is clear. Are you doing what you already know to do? Most of us know to do better than we do. I I was preaching on this passage many years ago. 
And it was hard for me to preach on that Sunday because that week I had blown it yet again. My short fuse took over. I was upset with my children. My children, when they were growing up, did not have adequate respect for my stuff, okay? They just kind of treated my things as their things. They learned that from their mother. <laughs> and one morning, I was getting ready to go, and I guess I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and I took my shower, and oh, you're going to know how old this story is. I couldn't find my comb. <laughs> and I just knew one of those kids had again attacked my belongings, entered my drawer, and so that morning I'd had it, I woke up everybody in the house. Who took my comb? And of course, you know, they all denied it. They always, always denied it. Well, when I calmed down a little bit, I went back and decided I would look one more time. Now, there's a crack in that drawer. <laughs> and in the crack, standing up where I couldn't see it, was my comb. See, the, here's the deal with me. I don't have to ask Jesus what good thing I need to do. I just need to do the good things I know to do. I just need to ask the Holy Spirit for the power to do what is expected of me. So, this young man can say what I couldn't say. All these I have kept since I was a boy. <clears throat> That's more than I could say. We're, we're dealing here with a man for whom the question of goodness matters. You have to respect him for that. And here's another poem for you. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating a Christmas pie. And he put it in his thumb and he pulled out a plum and he said, What a good boy am I. That's this guy. He's a good boy. And the Gospel of Mark says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He was a good person. But here's this question of this good person. Have I missed anything? What, what do I still lack? And here's this unexpected reply of Jesus. You, you do still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And the response the sadness in his heart because, as I pointed out, his great wealth had him. So Jesus comes to the moral. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Harder for a rich man to come into the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, we read this and we think money is the issue. Well, money's involved, of course, but the real issue is goodness. It's about what we do with our money, whom we serve with our money, whether we do good with our money or treat money as an end in itself or as a means of satisfying our own personal longings and desires. You can't serve God and mammon, Jesus reminds us. And what's interesting about this to me, again, is this juxtaposition. He's just been dealing with children children. And he says to these children, heaven belongs to such as these. Children can make it into heaven and we can't. Why them, not us? I want to take you back to Christmas. I think I did this in an earlier sermon. 
Christmas gives us a clue, it seems to me. We work hard, we parents and grandparents, we, we go out and carefully select the gifts that we want to buy to give to our children, and then when the time comes, we're around the tree and the, and, and the presents are being opened, and we watch the children, and we want them to be excited about what we're excited about because we paid, we paid good money for it, and what are the children doing? They're playing with the paper, the wrappings. <laughs> they don't know our skewed sense of values. What they know is, if it crinkles... If it moves, if you can crawl in it and hide in it, if you can push it around and make pretend with it, it's valuable. Hmm. Have you given much thought to how controlled we are by price tags? If it costs more, it's got to be better. If it costs a whole lot, it's worth sacrificing other things for. Children don't think that way. They're not fooled by price tags. Not nearly as often as we are. Now the disciples get what Jesus is saying, but, but it doesn't make them happy. Then, then who can be saved, they ask. Well, we've left everything. Isn't that good enough? Yeah, yes and no. It's, it's not about being good enough anyway, not in the way that we think about goodness. It's about knowing what really matters. It's about, it's about not propping yourself up with your symbols, with money, with things, with even religious symbols. It's about being a child before God. It's not about getting all the goods or about giving up all the goods. It's about being good for something. Good for somebody. Now this is tough. As Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And then Matthew's account here concludes, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So who's first? People like this very successful young man. He has money, he has position, he has all the trappings that go with it, he's got clout, and who's last now? Children. They are nothing, they have nothing, they can do nothing. Now he's not suggesting that we be childish, some of us major in that, like a father I know who, who's missing his comb. <laughs> he's talking about having no status, and about not making status all important. But status is the very thing you and I admire the most. We want to be noticed. We want to be admired. Envied, even. So we, we dedicate ourselves to accumulating like this young man. We even want to accumulate religious credentials. When all of our attention is on what we can get for ourselves, including heaven, Goodness is beyond our reach. Yet the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. I'd like to tell you about another man who would be good, who wanted to be good, and wondered what else he needed to do to be good. He, he was my friend. We were living in Tennessee. He was living in California when the word came 
that Steve was dying. We had to go because they were good friends. We had vacationed together. We had done so many things together. And he was a man who pretty much had everything in his chosen field. He had, he had earned his Ph.D. He was an educational leader in the state of California. He had sterling professional career. He had everything. But it was over. According to his best lights, he did it all right. He obeyed the commandments. He didn't murder. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't steal. He didn't bear false testimony. He honored his parents. He loved his neighbor. He had been a good boy. But when we were talking, he looked at me so plaintively and said, I'm dying. And there's not a thing I can do about it. And what did he value? What came out in our conversation? I'll tell you what he valued. His wife, his children, his grandchildren, his friends, his service to others. We never talked about his cars, his bank account, his net worth, his honors and accolades. He talked about those times when he had helped others, when he felt he was making a difference. And he was searching his memory to prove he had done good things, the right things. All these commandments he had kept from his youth. But he wondered what else he should have done. What good thing was missing. He, he too reminded me of Richard Corey. I didn't tell you the rest of the poem. There's one stanza left and Here's how it goes. So on we worked and waited for the light and went without the meat and cursed the bread. We were poor. And Richard Corey, one calm summer night, went home and put a bullet through his head. It wasn't enough. By the way, he's not writing that as a Christian poem. Arlington Robinson, not at all. He's just writing it as a poet who has observed how people live and how they misplace their values. So he says of Richard Corey, it wasn't enough, his glittery life. It didn't satisfy. It didn't last. Now, Richard Corey didn't have a chance to ask Jesus, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? But he would have if he could have, because something was missing. What do I still lack? If he'd have had a chance to ask him, I wonder what he would have done with Jesus' answer. There's a hint of Jesus' answer in, in the psalm that is requested more than any other psalm for funerals, the 23rd psalm. It's the one that starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know it. And you know how it ends. Surely your goodness and love, that's a more recent translation. We learned it in the King James. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice this. Surely your goodness will follow me. Remember what we were saying when we were talking about kindness a few weeks ago? What we said was, God is kind to us, and that kindness was epitomized by Jesus' death on the cross, and the message was clear. 
God was kind to us so that we will be kind to one another. Now, the message, folks, about goodness is exactly the same. God is good to us so that we will be good to others. We, we have this little ritual in church that I, it, it's kind of fun, misleading, but fun. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And that's, that's good, except what we usually mean is God is good to me all the time. All the time, God is good to me. But Jesus completes it. God is good all the time, so that we'll be good all the time. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Now here we are, we've been, we've been tracing the fruit of the Spirit through Galatians 22, 5, 22, and 23. We're in the sixth sermon in this series, and we haven't yet come to the, the fruit of the Spirit that we most desire to show. Greatness. We haven't yet come to greatness. And we have three more sermons to go, and we still won't get a chance to praise greatness. Because greatness does not appear here. And you know why. Like me, I'm sure, you've known some great people. They have their reputation. They have it all. For the most part, I'm unimpressed. But I've also known some good people. And I'm very much impressed. We were on the mainland these last three weeks. We didn't go to visit any great people. But we got to visit some very good people. And as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as Jesus is concerned, goodness trumps greatness every time. Don't you agree? Yes. 